1: Welcome to TFM's local wiring hole, and uh, I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is almost pretty much every single week these days, the one, the only,
0: Christy Morris. Hello, I am here, uh, ready to talk about some Rambo.
1: Oh, nice. I'm so excited to be getting into all of the Rambos this year. In fact, uh, the reason we're doing this is uh, a conversation we'd had with our guest this week, John Mills. John, uh, you're actually the impetus for doing this series.
2: Well, uh, when we get to Rambo 3, we'll know whether to thank me or not. <laughs> um, because that's that's going to be an interesting one. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I'm thrilled, actually. Because I love to, you know, I, I, th- I think that... Um, the Rambo series has become this sort of strangely forgotten franchise from the 80s. And it was like it was a big deal. He was a big time. You know, Stallone was Rocky and Rambo like he was bigger than life, man. And I, I think it's great to have any opportunity to to talk about the franchise.
1: I like to think of them as the R&R, uh, you know, of entertainment.
2: So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't talk about Cobra. Let's just all agree about or that. cliffhanger. Oh, oh, jeez, don't even get me on that one. Good grief. Ugh.
0: Well, this is,
1: uh, is going to be so much fun. Uh, but uh, before we dive into everything, of course, just a quick reminder, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Amazon Music, Spotify, all over the place. Uh, make sure you're subscribed so you get the show as soon as it drops. And follow us on the social media platforms like Twitter, at the 602 Club, and of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. So you can follow us in both places, catch up with what we got going on. Uh, you can also find us online at Trek.fm. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash trackfm. We've also got the listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners from all over the world, really, not just country, world. And yeah, uh, you can send us an email over at Trek.fm slash contact. And you can choose the show, and choose the 602 Club, and that comes to Christy and I. So, um, gosh, this is this is really interesting to me because this is not just, I mean, I, I I think most people would be surprised to find out that this is a book. You know, especially today, mm-hmm. John. Like you mentioned, this is a franchise mm-hmm. that's kind of been, in some ways, it feels like lost to time. You know, it, even though uh, the last Rambo movie just came out a few years ago last blood and so uh i think you know again it's kind of surprising this is a book that goes from book to film like so many things do uh and it's based off a book um by the same name uh from 1972 by david morrell and john i know i didn't even know this when we were first you know talking about doing the series, but you mentioned to me the other day that you've actually read the book. So I'm kind of really mm-hmm. interested to get some background perspective then on what this book is like. Is it like the movie? Have there been major changes to what was in the original book?
2: Yeah, there are, there are definite differences, um, especially with the ending. Everybody draws to that one immediately. Uh, there are a couple of nuanced differences in terms of the scale of the response to Rambo. Uh, in, you know, as we talk about the movie, we'll talk about, you know, the scale of the response at the end and how many people show up to try to smoke him out and take care of him sort of thing. It's a little bit smaller scale in the book. Uh, the book is, is very much more, I, it's, it's hard to, to say, you know, to, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words, but the, the book is much more personal. You spend a lot more, a lot more time in Rambo's head. And when he's facing off against the first batch of people that are chasing him, it's not quite so fantastic. It's not like a whole bunch of really cool cliff jumping stunts and, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. He's he's literally out there just slaughtering people. And it's not a it's not a merciful Sort of thing like he takes everybody out in the movie, but every, you're allowed to believe everybody survived for the most part, just with some bad injuries and everything. There's no such mercy shown uh, in in the book. And when he snaps and runs out, there's you know a little cosmetic difference in the fact that I think the movie makes a wise decision to have the cops, especially the one cop with the baton, be over the top a-holes, so that when Rambo gets his vengeance, you know, it's the movie rule. You don't want, you can't let people feel sympathy, really, for a guy that's going to die. So you make him as vile as possible, even if what Rambo's doing, you're like, well, you know, that's not ethical or really moral, what's going on, but you've seen this guy, and he's a terrible person, so on a lizard-brain level, you're sort of like, yeah, okay, kind of asked for it. So, uh, in the in the book as well. When he escapes, he's naked. Um, and what's interesting about the book, cause the book was 72. So this is coming hot off of the Vietnam conflict. And what's really interesting about it is it sits there and it, it really does go straight to the idea of what has happened to all of these guys that went to war and really deals with how hard a time they're having, um, uh, you know, recalibrating to what we would deem normal society, uh, whereas, you know, the movie just indulges a little bit more of the action, uh, the action hero impulse in the first – not in the first, in the middle third of it.
1: So in the, in the book, he is also a Vietnam vet as well? Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah, and he's uh, – the location is different because in the movie, um, you know, they're off in the, the mountains and the snow line and everything like that, whereas in the book, he's in Kentucky –
0: Oh, okay. Uh
2: is is where he's going through. So him escaping naked is a little bit like if he had escaped naked in in, in the locale in the movie, it's kind of like, oh well, he's gonna freeze to death. Right. Whereas like you know, you can sort of see in Kentucky, okay. But you know, it's still it still very much deals with that same theme of uh in the book, I believe Teasel is chief of police, which is a political appointment, as opposed to sheriff, which is an elected appointment typically. Um so uh, Teasel is I, I mean it's really interesting because the way that Dennehy plays Teasel is I uh, a pretty pretty spot on I think in terms of his temperament uh to to where he is in the book. Uh Teasel is maybe a little bit more of a jerk in the book. That's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the th- the thing is, it's like, um, in a sense, there's, yes, Teasel is not a sympathetic character in the movie, but you can sort of tell that he's small town sheriff used to get in his way sort of thing. He He's not used to anybody pushing back. And so he's become sort of complacent in how he deals with somebody. And um, so I think that that plays into it. I, th- I think he brings a little bit of overwhelmed sympathy to Teasel whereas in the book you have none I didn't at least I, I thought he was just like oh wow Rambo should take this guy out sort of thing
1: yeah that's fascinating um, and it, it's interesting to to you know it, anytime you read a book and then you see the movie the, the differences and like you mentioned the idea of really the book gives you that opportunity to spend all that time and what Rambo is actually thinking and we don't really get that opportunity except for a couple of times and then of course at the very end of the film you know where he has his breakdown uh with troutman which really gives you an opportunity to know the psychology of what rambo's been going through this whole time you know and of course you know we have the moments where they kind of let you know the triggers um that are happening with Rambo as well that kind of lead him to have the flashbacks and everything in the film. So, you know, um, yeah, talk about trigger warning. Uh, so,
2: right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But um, yeah, that's fascinating. And, and it, what was interesting to me uh, as we look at the film is that, you know, Stallone has a ton of influence in this film and really influences the way that, uh, the book then differs from the movie, especially with its portrayal of Rambo. Um, and, and for me, that was really fascinating to see, Christie. that, um, you know, because he gets the role, because of the cachet he has as Rocky, he's able to come in and rewrite the script and make this a much more uh, sympathetic character and, of course, change the ending
0: as well. Mm-hmm. I think that that was the biggest, well, not a thing I had seen. That was the biggest difference I had heard about from the book to the movie was what you mentioned, John, of the ending of in the book that Rambo dies. Whereas in the movie, Stallone decided to add the ending of him actually surviving, um, but reluctantly turning himself in with Troutman. And I like that Stallone was allowed to change it that way because for me, even though I've never read the book, it makes you understand so much more of what goes on in someone's head. Um, You know, the fact that he also like Troutman said, his only family he had left was each other, you know, was his trainer. Um, And he just broke down finally and let all of that out about like, he's still having memories, even as if he's there with his friends talking about all the things they were going to do. Um And then that suddenly he's got his friend, you know, blowing up in front of him. It really drives home, I think, a bigger message to the movie than just PTSD and trying to understand what they've been through. But also looking at, you know, what it can do to a person for the rest of their life that, you know, he's talking about. I can't hold a job. I, um you know, still have flashbacks. I don't have any friends. All my friends died. You know, it's it's something that really needs to be looked at more about how to take care of veterans better and to help them with mental health.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you said that, too, because there really is a pivot point in the 70s and the 80s with how we approach war veterans. Uh, I, I still remember all of the stories of, you know, my, my grandfather fought in World War II and my dad said there were certain times where a song would come on when it was at the American Legion hall. And there was a certain song that would come on and my Grampy would just get up and walk out of the room. And uh, I asked my dad one time, I was like, you know, did Grampy have any stories about anything? He said, no, he never talked about it. Not once. Like he, he, every so often he might make a reference to it, but he never talked about what he went through sort of thing. And so I think there's, uh, you know, even though this is an action film, there's a pivot point here. Uh which, you know, there were there were movies in the 70s as well. There was Coming Home, there was The Deer Hunter, there were there and Apocalypse Now dealing with sort, you know, reassessing what war does to a person. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's good to see, you know, like you said, Stallone get that moment at the end. But also what's interesting is they did film an ending where he died, but it fell flat with test audiences. Um, I, I think one of the additions has the extra on it where he basically, Troutman has pulled a gun on him and Rambo commits suicide by grabbing the gun and making it go off. And it didn't play well at all. And so that they were, you know, they were then, then they had the real green light to go ahead and change the ending uh, to everything, which I, I think really. I, I do want to ask, Chrissy. Since you mentioned, you know that, that he, he survives in the end. Here, do you have any qualms with the fact that Rambo lives? That you know, you look at everything that Rambo has done, and we understand what motivated him to do it. But isn't there a certain sense after a certain point that Rambo has an opportunity to step down and doesn't let it go? When it, like he didn't need to blow up the whole town, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, I guess I attributed it in my head more to the, you know, temporary insanity plea. Sure. That he just, at this point, had been going so hard for so long in this particular scenario that, you know, Mm. he's like wild-eyed by the time Troutman confronts him in the police station.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Mm. Troutman standing
0: there talking and trying to talk him down, and he's still just ready to go, pointing everywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's what I chose. That's
2: a really good point. No, that's a that's a really good point, yeah.
1: On top of that, I'd say, you know, one of the things they do really well is that, like, he even
2: says, you know,
1: uh, you know you, you can't just turn it off, you mm-hmm. know? You, you can't, you can't, you can't, it, like, these guys have been wound so tight and have been going for so long in the war and then to come home the way they did and everything, like, uh, you, you can't just turn this off. There's no switch, you know? And I yeah. think... You know, that's something I really appreciate. Uh, I think Stallone has his finger on the pulse of veterans here in a way that was really important. And I think this is one of the things that, as over-the-top as Rambo is as an action film, I I think what it does is that it helps us to see, like, the kind of getting at which is the the horrors of war, and especially a war like Vietnam, where these guys, the the objective wasn't clear the same way it was in a war like World War II, Um, you know. And, John, you mentioned how your grandpa had, you know, still had those issues, even with that, right? You knew what you were going to fight. You you knew why you were there and who you're fighting and what would happen if they grabbed power you know even with all of that war still has an impact and I think uh, it, this is this is a such an important thing and I think Stallone's performance I don't know if anybody else would have pulled this off I just think he puts his a complete heart and soul into this and it was so right for him to make this about a vet and make him more sympathetic Because to show the difficulty of these men returning to a country where they're treated so badly, in some ways they're treated less than human, and that's exactly what we see here. You know, he's treated like a dog by these men, Um, even after they know he's a war hero. Like, Mm -hmm. they still treat him like dirt, and... There's no help. There's there's no, no help being offered for the PTSD that they have. They've lost all of their friends. Um, they're treated as an outsider. They're completely unwanted. There's absolutely no compassion for these men. Um, and Stallone's performance has that written all over his face 100% of the time in this. And, you know, literally, he's just a guy who wanted to get a meal and was treated like dirt. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I... I just think he, he doesn't get enough praise for being a really good actor. And this movie shows, mm-hmm. I think, just how good Stallone can be. And I'm really glad that he's in this film and that he got to basically help make the movie better by all of the choices that he brought forward.
2: Well, I think there's also an interesting overlay with the fact that Rambo is being hassled because he's a hitchhiker with long hair. And so there's this sort of blurring of the fact that the the sheriff is making these presumptions, of, oh, it's another dirty hippie coming through town, and just you layer on all of those things. It's like, well, who cares if a hitchhiker's coming through a town you know especially where you have hiking trails and everything like that. Why wouldn't you expect somebody like that to come through town uh and then the fact that his his military jacket gets him no no sense of respect at all. Um, and, and in fact, it, it's regarded as sort of, you know, initially he's like, oh, you're wearing that flag on your, sh-, you know, sort of like, oh, look at you long hair. And so you see sort of the fact that Teasel is from that more old school mentality of, oh, well, if you were really a military vet, you'd have a crew cut and you'd be saying, sir, and you'd be standing at attention. And so those sort of presumptions that go in there, but also the fact that again, even if he's not a war hero, right? If he wasn't the war hero, you hate to think I, they still would have treated him this way. And yeah. you think somebody without this training or anything, he they're just going to get savagely roughed up and manhandled in jail and nothing to do with it. And so there's a real indictment there of how, uh, you know, small town cops can just really go on that power trip and – who you know? Who watches the Watchmen sort of thing? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is everybody really Teasel? You know, Teasel's walking out. And he's like, Hey, Bob. Hey, Bill. What's going on? Hey, how you doing, everybody? And how many of those people are walking by? Like, better be nice. Better be nice. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, I'm going to get a ticket or I'm going to get written up for something. You know, like it, so. I think that in and of itself also, you know, belies the illusion of niceness that's there. And then also, you look at all of the weapons that this, you know. Hope is not exactly an urban center, and you see all of the guns that the police department has, and you think to yourself, why are you that Mm well-armed, right? They're running around with M-16s, and it's like, why? You're a small truck stop on the way to the mountains. This seems a little overboard, honestly. Like, you know, who attacked last time?
0: Right. Like they've even also got the outpost with all of its guns and ammo. And I guess people are preparing for a fight.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, you know, the outpost, like, OK, I could see this is a, a this is a, a town in the woods. Everybody's going hunting. Yeah. You yeah. know, Rambo runs across the kid who's hunting. Uh, so people probably shoot for target practice and stuff like that. So I can get that. But like M16s in the police department, it's like, well, who did you, who are you expecting to come to town? <laughs> like it, it's kind, it's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah, Yeah,
1: there's not a lot of hope in hope. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: But I'm glad you brought that up, though, John, especially about the police piece of it, because I think that that was something they're definitely trying to send a message about as well as a just when, you know, a cop may go on a power trip and, you know, be more brutal than they should be. But also be about, you know, the um, guys that are buddy, buddy and cover stuff up one another mm-hmm. because it's small yep. town and they can hide things easier. Um, yep. And so, you know, that was the whole thing that started Teasel on his power trip was, you know, initially after that judging of Rambo, he gets even more riled up because his friend is the first one that died.
2: Right. And his friend, who's the first one that died, um, I never really caught it till this time. And I've seen First Blood a number of times, but there, there is some... Uh, casual racism thrown in there uh, with and it's a throwaway line where there is a guy working on the uh, the hallway, the extension that's going on mm-hmm. where where the holding cells are. And he's an African-American. And that cop who, who I call baton cop, but the guy that Rambo winds up killing, knocking out of the helicopter um, says, you know, are you ever going to finish this? Uh, you better get working, boy. Like and. I didn't even hear it all of the times that I've heard. I don't know whether I'm just more attuned to it, but I heard it this time and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like they really set this guy up so that there is zero sympathy for him when he buys it later on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, you know, that right out of the gate, the guy's just a terrible person. What's he even doing here? Yeah. You know, this sort of thing. But that speaks to, you know, he's Diesel's buddy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people look the other way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things that you end up with, and John, I really love that you pointed this out, you know, this whole we're judging a book by its cover kind of thing. And, and you know, Teasel has no idea who Rambo is or what he's done or the, the life that he's led. or And he just assumes that he knows who this guy is because he happens to have longer hair and is wearing a fatigue jacket. And instead of asking any questions or uh, trying to get to know the person in any way, he just assumes that he knows who he is, and then he treats him accordingly uh, the way he believes that type of person should be treated. And it's just, it's just an awful, awful uh, portrait of just the type of is you mentioned like kind of kind of like racist and just um i i don't even know um what you what you would call that like he condescending condescending <laughs> like um mm-hmm. he's he, he's he's kind of classist too you know like he mm-hmm. assumes that that he's basically a dirty hippie uh and he deserves whatever dirty hippies deserve According to his mm-hmm. worldview, um, and it's just so short-sighted. Uh, it's it's very narrow-minded, and it's just disgusting. And I I kind of appreciate that, you know, we get this because I think it's just important for us to be able to admit that these type of things do happen, you know, mm-hmm. um, and these type of people do exist, and we need to confront them wherever we um we find them. You know, um, and it's what we see in Rambo's reaction. And I, John, you so rightly pointed this out, like you just feel no sympathy for when he finally goes off on these guys because they, I mean, he's being treated as less than human. Like that mm-hmm. he's not a human being at all. And it's, it's just so disgusting. Like, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know that cop is straight up trying to murder him when he's hanging yep. on the cliff. Just murder him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, David Caruso, you know the the, the redheaded cop here, um, more than a decade before he he gets fame on NYPD Blue or whatever. He at least, John, yeah, it looks exactly. like
1: he's had a long fall.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but no, it, it's it's one of those things where. He gives voice a little bit to it. But what I think is interesting about his character is he has a conscience and he tells them, hey, you know, back off of this guy. You know, something's not right. Can't you tell he's I mean, he says, you know, can't you tell he's nuts, basically. But he's at least on the trail of saying, you know, something's not adding up here. Mm -hmm. Do you think maybe we're not doing the right thing? But then you see that sort of social pressure that can exist in that situation where he's speaking up and the two older guys are like, shut up, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. You're going to do what you're told. And so it's it's really interesting there just with that that dynamic added into it, uh, you know, as well. And that
0: later they even have him laugh at them and say, wow, (laughs) we're not hunting him. He's hunting us.
2: (laughs) Yep. And so you feel a little bit of sympathy when he he gets harmed. (laughs)
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but uh, not not a lot because he could have just he could have it would have been interesting to have his character just not participate and just say, right. I don't care if you fire me just leave I, I'm out yeah I'm I'm done
1: or it kind of would have been a bit interesting if if like he had made the call that led to having Troutman
2: come in right uh, that yeah. would have been an interesting yeah. angle too uh, so
0: but I am glad I wanted to add um. I think that it also adds to Rambo's character that and I don't know, John, you could say if this was also in the book, but where he comes out in the ravine after the first cop dies and says, I don't want any more trouble. I didn't kill this guy.
2: I don't think that specifically happens in the book. Everything accelerates to the point where Rambo just starts taking them out. It starts raining. Okay, they're completely out of their depth Um. And so it's—I don't remember the specific sequence clearly. It's been about—it's been about a year since I read the book. What I do remember is that they're all gathered together, uh, you know, in one like. And there is at least one cop that's like, "This is a bad idea. We got to go home." Mm -hmm. And but you know, Rambo's just uh, taking them all out. The one thing that does carry over is after he's laid waste to a ton of people, he does trap Teasel and say, "Back off. You see what I can do." Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Let me go. Let me go. Run off into the woods. And of course, you know, in the book, Teasel doesn't let it go there either.
0: really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Can we just talk about the fact that Stallone does his own, own stunts in this movie?
2: Yeah. Did he do the jump? Yeah.
1: No, I th- I, I didn't. I feel like um, watching the extras. He did all of them, like all the dirt bike stuff. Wow. Yeah, and he did the um. He obviously did the tree too.
2: Well, I I didn't know he did that. Like I knew he had he had done stunts, but I didn't know that was included. That's still that's amazing. Um, I I mean the the one of the makeup things with it too that that fascinates me is his cut on his arm.
0: Yeah, how like, it bleeds they, so much.
2: Yeah, no, but but it pulses mm-hmm. the way a human pulse would go and. For the life of me, I can't figure out how did they put like that's incredible makeup that that it looks like he really has this huge gash on his arm that he has to, you know, he has to sew up and everything.
0: No, he it's, did his own stunts, John. Else. They cut a major artery.
2: Yeah, I hope <laughs> no, not. Well, they're all they're professionals. Yeah, they gotta they, they, they make want it to bring look us real. heightened realism. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, he um <laughs> he uh broke some ribs filming. Uh, three takes of the scene where he jumps off the cliff into the tree. Uh, wow. and then, uh, he got a serious back injury. Apparently I, I, I was just looking this up to just make sure we we're getting it right. Uh, after filming 19 takes of the scene in which his character was clubbed with the nightstick. Jeez. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. He, he, he literally took a beating in this film.
2: <laughs> so talk about, talk about committing to a role. My goodness. Yeah. And I think that's that, uh, what makes him so wow. good in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, although I do, I, you know, I always quote this line of, uh, I think it was Olivier, when he was filming uh, Marathon Man with with Dustin Hoffman, where he said at one point, my dear boy, you should try acting, it's so much easier. Because um, <laughs> Hoffman had stayed up for 24 hours, because his character had been up for 24 hours and looked terrible. And Olivier <laughs> was like, what are
0: you doing? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um,
2: yeah. But that's, see, the thing is, that's, uh, it, as, lo- as long as I've lived with this movie, i I thought the the cliff jump was the one he didn't do, but he did that. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I I mean, and a little ridiculous, but yeah, uh, we're glad he's okay. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah,
1: I mean, he's like uh, you know. Nowadays, we've got Tom Cruise doing all those stunts in the Mission Impossible movies, and you know, breaking his ankle and stuff, and touche. You know, so I, I. but Stallone, man, just... I And I think one of the things that I was really... Especially re-watching this is the way that the action is shot. It makes you really feel part of the the action itself. But I also felt like I was inside kind of the paranoia that Rambo's experiencing. The way it's shot. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's just really well done to bring you inside. So even though we're not spending as much sight in his... In time, obviously, inside his head the way we would in... Uh, the book, like he's mentioned, I feel like I understand what he's going through by just the way the film is shot.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's the thing, too, that still stands out for me as well, in addition, is just the way everything is shot, but especially his scenes. I think that you see also that pain in his face. I think that Stallone is so good at showing that although he's... Um, angry he's also really confused and stuck in his own head and just trying to figure out how to get out of the situation and feels like he has to fight his way out
2: well i you know the thing is i feel almost like you're you guys are baiting me because here we are on tfm and everybody knows that i have a passion for star trek V. but i love hearing you talk about how well shot it is because this is shot by andrew laszlo who uh, was the uh, director of photography on Star Trek V and uh, is scored by Jerry Goldsmith, who did the score for Star Trek V as well. But yeah, Andrew Laszlo uh, photographed this. I agree that the photography is great. I think that the outdoor scenes are, are pretty exceptional, actually, for, for where they are and what they're doing. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the most recent remaster or whatever, uh, it, it looks better. Uh, than previous ones yeah uh the 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 previous edition the the lightning especially when they were out in the woods it just didn't work uh like the, there was something off about the co- the color balance and saturations or whatever, but the latest edition, the lightning looks right and 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 it works really well but yeah i i think that um this is immersive i i I saw this on videotape however many years ago, too young to see it. And to this day, I feel like I'm there with him. And I mean, that's not, that's not easy, especially considering they have that, those cave scenes and, and all of the fog to deal with just shot. Continuity alone could have driven somebody mad trying to get this movie put together. And the fact that it is consistent and that it looks so good is, I mean, it's an achievement. It really is.
1: I I feel like, you know, we kind of talked around, uh, the two main characters beyond Rambo. But, um, I, I think it, you know, we really got to get into, uh, these actors and, and, you know, Brian Dennehy, um, he's so good at playing absolute, just like, think of every, um, bad word you can think of in your mind to, to call a guy being a, just a complete jerk. That's him in this movie. He's so good at doing it. Like he, I, I mean, I, and and the fact that they had thought about getting like Gene Hackman or Robert Duvall to play this role, they both turned it down. And I'm so glad they did because yeah, they're, I think they're great. But Brian Dennehy just brings an absolute passion to playing this dude in a way that makes you firmly believe that he just deep down in his soul he's mean and kind of evil
2: see i i think that there's um i think there's a dimension to him and i think that what denahi brings to the role is that this is a man out of his depth even just as a small town sheriff i think that he is not a good person i agree but i think that he's not aware of how wrong he is like he's he's got no perspective on it um and then once once he starts to realize he's out of his depth and rambo has shown him how far he is out of his depth then you see that stubbornness he doesn't want to admit that he's wrong or that he was wrong yeah Mm -hmm. and i think that you get almost there he does have a bit of growth and i think the thing that blunts the the blunts him from going to sort of that cartoonish evil level is that scene with Troutman in the bar where you see him starting to process and assess things. And it might not go all the way in for him, but you feel like he is at least listening to Troutman and trying to maybe understand that his worldview has been so limited that, you know, he has an opportunity here to realize, Oh, Maybe I am the problem, but then of course you know Rambo comes back and hijinks ensue, and you know goes from there.
0: Vendetta's come back.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, that was that was the vibe that I got from him as well. I th- I think that the big thing that Dennehy brings to it that I think Gene Hackman wouldn't do the same is that he's got this eye narrowing stare. He just looks so terrifying and like he just absolutely will not let something go. And he does that so well. And you can tell, you know, like you said, John, in that scene where he kind of softens a bit because he's thinking about it and really thinking more about who Rambo is as a whole person and not just this enemy he's facing and then later dismisses it again. And it leads to almost his death. I mean, we're led to believe that he's possibly surviving as he's taken away in the ambulance, but maybe not.
2: Yeah. 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 True.
0: And and what was interesting
1: in that bar scene is that, you know, he admits, he's like, I just want to kill this guy. Like, Mm -hmm. that there's something inside of him that has made him want to see this dude dead. For no good reason, really. He can't explain it. And I, like, I agree that there's some more dimension there, but to me, it's like, He's just admitting to himself that he's kind of as evil as we've seen him be on screen. At least that's how I took it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I mean, I, I guess I take that moment more as sort of, I, I guess, almost like the, the alcoholic or the rageaholic. Mm. Your your first step to recovery is it is realizing what the problem is. And yeah. so I've always taken that scene as him having that first step of admitting that. You know, he's on the cusp of saying, I, I should have backed down, but I couldn't, Mm. I didn't know how, like, because there are so many points, like when, when his car flips over after he's chasing Rambo, Mm -hmm. right. I mean, you know, I would have, I would have been like, you know what? Screw it. That guy, we're just going to increase patrols in the town and just make sure he doesn't come back because this is not a good person to mess with. Um Or at least go back and talk to the other officers and say, okay, take me through it. Exactly what happened here? Because he comes charging in. And granted, he's made all of these mistakes and all of these terrible decisions. But then he's not down there. And he comes in and just Rambo's, you know, messing everybody up. And he he doesn't know what's going on. And so there's this sort of uh, aspect of momentum Uh, that goes on from that point. Maybe, maybe I'm being too generous with the character, but it's just, I've always, I've always hinged on that bar scene as him starting to realize, um, that, that, you know, he's the problem. So, you know, maybe I'm just being too generous with him. I don't know.
1: And I, I mean, I, as you're, you know, talking about it too, you know, I can see how that can be a read, you know, like I, I think that's one of the things about the performance is that it's nuanced enough that I think you can read it either way, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. really good with a movie like this. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know if you you say you were in the video store back in the day and you picked up first blood and you thought, man, I'm going to get some really nuanced performance in this, isn't this, you know, like (laughs) that's probably not your Uh, first thought.
2: Uh, no, this was, um. This was either my brother or my cousin saying, yeah, "Don't tell your mom you saw this. Just <laughs> shut up and watch." Okay, sure.
1: Well, um, Richard Krenna um, was the very last person that was supposed to be in this role. Uh, you had people like Lee Marvin turn it down. Uh, James Mason. I, you know, they even had the role was going to be played by Kirk Douglas, who was hired. And then he was like, oh, this isn't ending like the book. Uh, Well, I'm not doing it unless it ends like the book. So, sorry, guys. No and then lame. he plays it. And I think, you know, Richard Crenna, he has another nuanced performance of the sense that, you know, he's the guy who helped create all of these guys like Rambo. And you can kind of tell that he cares for Rambo, But you're never quite sure if it's really that he cares for him or if he's just worried more about his own job because his basically Frankenstein has destroyed a town.
0: I I was going to say, I feel like it's to me, I always kind of took away that it was more he cared about Rambo and that he felt like he could come in as an expert and instruct everybody that what they're doing is foolish, (laughs) which he does. Mm -hmm. You know, oh gosh, he tries so many times to tell them what they're doing is foolish and they need to back off. You know, I think he even says it's like bringing pigeons to a cat, Uh, (laughs) but he's so good at coming across as still, you know, even though he's warning everyone and he's talking about how great Rambo is at what he does and everything, you can tell that he still wants Rambo to survive and he wants to be able to see him again to maybe reach him deeper and show him that what he's doing is wrong and he needs to stop. Because he says even, you know, like, why not let him escape to another town and we can peacefully bring him in later?
2: Right. Yeah. He'll go off. He'll he'll settle down. And then we can just go in and just gently arrest him there. You're right. Um, I, I agree with you, Christy. I think that Troutman is motivated by an actual caring for Rambo. I think that he has a, I, I With Krenna's performance, I pick up a sense of a career military guy who's far enough along now that he has a little bit of regret with what he did. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much that he's despond, Like he, he views himself, I guess, as the type of person that's going, like if you're going to have somebody train these guys, it's better to have somebody like Troutman who still views them as people as opposed to somebody who views them just as killing machines Troutman's strength here, I think, is that he still sees Rambo as his boy. He's, he's there and he, he cares for him and he wants him to get better as opposed to somebody that just would look at him as, well, he's you know he's a military asset and so we, we got to bring him in and we're going to – there's never a sense with Troutman of we want to bring him in and reassign him. And put him back out in the field because that's sort of a—I a, don't know if it's a trope, but I've seen it in plenty of action movies where they say they 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 say that the person, well, they just don't belong in the real world. So we'll put him off and have him continue doing missions elsewhere because that's where he's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Troutman wants John to leave this life. He wants to help him leave it behind. He doesn't want him to continue to be like this. And so I, th- I, I think that Krenna brings a really, really gentle, like Lee Marvin wouldn't have worked <laughs> because Lee Marvin would have been uh, the hard ass. It would have been a completely different read on the character. And I think Crenna also, while he's an established actor, he's not Lee Marvin. He's not the type of actor where when I see him, it's going to pull me out of a role. of the time, because that voice, that manner, that face is so indelibly what it is, whereas Krenna has a bit more of an everyman quality Mm. to him in the role.
1: The thing that really struck me about uh, this performance was, you know, at the end where John is crying on his shoulder and you could see where the disconnect comes in and that he doesn't know how to be what this guy needs, right? Like he want, he, you do see that he kind of wants him, he wants him to live, um, you know, cause earlier you, you got the moment where they thought they blew him up with the, the rocket launcher and he realizes he's not dead. And he gets to that little tiny, like smile to the camera, basically Mm -hmm. like, ah, suckers. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but, but, what i love about the performance is that we're not at a place for people to truly understand how to help these men the way they really need to be helped you know and not enough people do care about them you know uh Troutman caring about John is is only part of it like you 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 need a whole support system and i think uh, and just somebody who's able to be in touch with the emotional state that you need to be in touch with to reach somebody like a John Rambo mm-hmm. you know who's just so far gone Um, and I, I think that's all in the performance and and so you know again I, I think both him and Dennehy just give such nuanced performances that allow you to be able to take it so many different ways but I, I just I remember just so the reason I you know first watched this movie uh, a few months back is uh, one of our friends on on Twitter Sean uh, had mentioned it and I was like I've never seen that and I saw it at you know Walmart and I was like well it's only fourteen bucks for 4K and digital eh, how much could it suck um, and I just was <laughs> so blown away by this film. And part of it has to do with these three guys' performances, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know, it's it's just really interesting, and I'm I'm obviously going to be so excited to continue on with the series, kind of see what they do with it, because like, you know, we uh, we talked about the Rocky, you know, the first Rocky movie, and that's a, a series that kind of finds its way going downhill, and I'm wondering if does Rocky do that too, so. um John, you mentioned another great Star Trek V connection, and the fact that Jerry Goldsmith does the the uh, soundtrack here, and man, such a great job, and completely elevates the film with a score that has great action music, um, but also has this kind of melancholy heroic theme for Rambo mm-hmm. that really accentuates the kind of turmoil inside this guy. Like he wants to be a good person. And yet he's having trouble overcoming everything that's happened to him. And so I just I man, great, great score. I mean, you know, Goldsmith is just so good in general. I, I I love his stuff. Um, from this to Star Trek to um Rudy to you know, I mean, it's so many great scores. But uh yeah, this is a winner from Goldsmith, I think.
0: Yeah, I uh I agree especially for um the tension scenes. I love the decisions that they made with the score when they're climbing up the riverbed and Rambo is creeping up over the bank in the midst of them. Mm-hmm. Um it's just, you know, this percussion that's like a ominous thing and I, you know, that really jumped out to me, but uh I I do have one little brownie point to tick off for it um that took away for me and that was the end credit song those vocals (laughs) dear god that's bad
1: yeah um so many of those movies back then they just have terrible ending songs yeah just take that out
2: (laughs) it it was it was an odd choice it was a really odd choice. I don't know whether they thought that they were going to have a situation where they were like, and this will be our song from the, the, the hit movie First Blood. Because like when you listen to the lyrics of it, you think to yourself, this is really, really depressing. Mm-hmm. Like why, why would I turn this on? This is really sad. And I guess that's the point, but like what i love most about goldsmith's score here is that theme has a there there's this military undertone to it but that very like you said Matt uh melancholy through it and so you can there goldsmith is really good at creating those sort of um you know character pieces for for the the movies uh you know that he scores and everything and i think that this is one of those where if i listen to the first blood theme i can at least get a sense for who john rambo is from it and that's not I mean, that really isn't easy to do and i think that this is another one of those scores where when people talk about movie scores they talk about zimmer they talk about williams they talk about all of these people but goldsmith was ridiculous. Ridiculous with the boundaries that, like he went to, and all the places he explored with his scores, and I I mean, I struggle to think of somebody that can pivot like this. You know, from Star Trek the from the Omen to Star Trek the Motion Picture to First Blood, and it it all sounds completely different. There's nothing that I detect here outside of just you know a magnificent score put together by somebody.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly it's just good stuff and i'm i'm really interested then in, uh, as we've talked about this to see where both of you are ratings wise uh with this film and so john you're our guest so uh where do you fall with first blood
2: well uh what what's our rating scale exploding gas stations <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, drops of blood
2: <laughs> no 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 we've yeah.
1: been doing 1 to Let's
2: 5 go with explo- but yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, whatever, we're, whatever we're, we're handing out, whether it's uh, drops of blood or exploding gas stations or what have you, um, I, it's a solid four. Um, I, I The last time I watched it, I wasn't as in love with it as I was this time. And it's really weird because it really hit this chord. I don't know whether it's just where I'm at right now or things in the world or different ways I've seen certain parts of it. But I think this is just a solid four. This really is. I mean, a huge cultural impact and everything like that, but really, really well done film.
0: Yeah, I have to uh, echo that as well. You know, there's not many things that I don't like about it. And, and I meant to say earlier, this is another thing that I watched with my dad, probably too young, uh, and, and then today, um, my husband got the notification while he was still at work that I bought it on Amazon Prime to rent for $3.99 and told all his friends, my wife's at home watching First Blood. And they were like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm that strange girl. But, um, yeah, so I, I always enjoy it and find meaning in it. I think more than anything for me, the emotion of what it must be like for somebody in that situation as a veteran, um, really hits a chord with me. And um, I'll never fully understand that, but I can at least try to, un- you know, empathize. Um, so, yeah, I, I give it a four out of five as well. I, I'm going to give it four hunting knives out of five.
1: Nice. Very nice. Nice. Very nice.
0: Um, we're all
1: on the same page. Like, I'm right there with you guys at, at four. Um, four out of five uh, compasses on top of the hunting knife, hey. um, which is really important. <laughs> uh this is. There are many movies in the 80s that I wasn't allowed to watch, you know, that I missed. Mm-hmm. And going back to them, it's always interesting to see how they actually hold up. You know, are they movies to which people loved because they were at a certain time period, or are they movies that actually still hold water today? And this is one that I absolutely 100% believe actually holds up uh, for the themes we talked about with police brutality in the movie to um, mm-hmm. uh, to veterans coming home from war. And, you know, I, I think this is a, a fantastic film and, and everyone in it should be proud of themselves. And it's interesting, the movie came in at three hours and Stallone thought his career was over when he Which saw the crazy. Cut. But And he almost bought the movie just so he could kill it completely. Wow. Uh, and then they recut it all down to an hour 33, and this movie hums. There's not a part of it that feels unnecessary. Uh, this is one of those places where you can really see that you can make a movie in the editing bay. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Maybe George Lucas had something to do with that. I have no idea. Probably not. But it sounds like something he would be able to pull off.
2: The the one thing I'll say is I think that maybe there were an extra 10 minutes somewhere out there that would have bumped us all up from a four to a five. You'll never know. Maybe it's just uh, that four is just where it would be. But to go from three hours to an hour and a half maybe there's an extra scene or two sitting out there that would have fleshed out a couple of things that you know we we dinged along the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um well, I'm uh, I'm really excited cuz we uh we get to this part of the show where we uh recommend things to people with recommendations. Yeah. So, John, what are you going to be recommending to people for the 602 club
0: today?
2: You know, I actually I'm going to go ahead and this is uh something that um Matt, I think we talked about it here or whatever, but like I just rewatched Tenet, and I love it. I think it's terrific, and I would recommend it. That will be my recommendation for uh, for this discussion.
1: Yeah, especially for all those people who might not have seen it in the theater. Man, it's out now, so watch it.
2: Yeah, I, it well well worth the uh, the purchase in my oh, in my yeah. estimation because I I don't think you can rent it right now. Yeah. So. <laughs>
0: So uh, I'm going to do another little bit silly one. I, I did a funny one last week, but I've just gotten into some different things that I wouldn't usually because I've been stuck more at home as I'm sure most people have. Um, and so I actually recently got a Nintendo switch and uh, because some of my friends wanted to all play at one time with me online, we were looking at something that we all um, wanted to play together. And I got back into playing, uh, super smash brothers ultimate (laughs) or smash brothers in general. And now it's ultimate or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's been really fun and, and a way to be able to still connect with people, no matter where you are in the States or the world even. So I recommend trying video games again, if you haven't, but also smash brothers ultimate. Cool. So, um, I'm going to recommend something, uh, that I,
1: uh, absolutely love uh, and it's a movie called the mission and um, mm. it's such mm-hmm. a good movie. And and the reason I'm recommending it is because I ran across it. Uh, I, I was looking at some stuff on, uh, you know, Apple TV uh, and I saw that they had all of these epic movies for four 99. So there was like Lawrence of Arabia, the restored four K edition, uh, that you can't even buy on a disc right now because it comes in a special set from like the Columbia Pictures. It's like a, a bunch of money, and I didn't care about all the f- anyway. The point was, <laughs> is I saw the mission was there too, four ninety nine in HD, and this is an incredible film. By I uh, got uh, actors Robert Duvall and Jeremy Irons. It is one of the most moving, beautiful pictures of redemption that you'll ever see. It's sad. It's it's gorgeous. The soundtrack is off the charts. Insanely awesome. Um, it is a must-see film. It's just so good. So I'm going to recommend the mission to everyone. Um, John, so we've been teasing here on the 602 Club um, for a while now. Something that's going to be coming from you and I
2: from the 602
1: Club and uh, as we branch out a little bit. And I feel like feel like it's time for us to make that announcement.
2: Let's make the announcement then. Let's go ahead and roll that out.
1: John, you came to me um, a while back, and you said, Matt, we should do this podcast together. John, what is that podcast?
2: Well, it's going to be called Snyder Cuts, and we are going to walk through the career and the works of uh, Mr. Zack Snyder uh, in celebration of his movies that are coming out. Uh, just his cut of justice league and um oh, army of the dead is that what it's called yeah army of the dead uh sorry uh but yeah we're going to go through all the works of Zack Snyder and we're we're going to um have uh an interesting time because uh it, Matt you're a fan I'm I don't hate him but I, you <laughs> know so we're going to have we we're going to have you know some spirited interesting discussions about Uh, movies that tend to get pretty strong reactions out there in the world. So that should be fun.
1: Yeah, and uh, just so you guys know, um, the way that this podcast is going to be coming to you since it's linked with uh, and proudly presented by the 602 Club, we're going to be dropping it in this same feed. It's going to have its own bonus label and everything. Uh, We're also set it up on the website by itself so you can kind of find that um but we're really excited to bring this to you it's a short run podcast too obviously uh Snyder only has so many movies but we're going to actually be starting John and I have actually recorded the episode uh, where we talked about all of his music video work uh and so Mm -hmm. we've already recorded that um it's going to drop in a few weeks here so just take a you know just keep looking out on the feed you're going to find it and I think it's just going to be a lot of fun um If the first episode is any indication, it was fantastic. We just had a wonderful (laughs) conversation. We did. We really did. We had a wonderful conversation about his music uh, video work and uh, go into more detail of just kind of, you know, why we thought this would be interesting. So I I think it is going to be a lot of fun. So I hope that you'll check out Snyder Cuts and enjoy it, especially as we look towards, uh, you know, that thing that was never going to come to us, but is coming this year called Zack Snyder's Justice League. So uh, that's uh, the announcement, which we're really excited to be bringing to you. Uh, but, uh, John, if anybody wants to catch up with you and maybe see if they can pry any more information out of you about Snyder Cuts, maybe like, you know, what the artwork's going to look like. Where can they find you?
2: Oh uh, Well, these are all closely guarded secrets. Nobody knows yet. Mm-hmm. And Not you can me. find me. Yeah, not yet. Uh, you can find me floating out there on the internet as Kessel Junkie, K E S S E L J U N K I E. Letterbox is the only place I have fun on social media anymore, really. So yeah, check me out there if you want to, uh, and you can find me over on the Nerd Party, appearing on House Lights, where you know we we look at the works of different directors. Uh, and you can also find me. On a show called Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast, which uh, which delves into the, the deep dive arenas of a galaxy far, far away.
0: Well, I don't know what you're talking about because I think that your sarcasm on Twitter is hilarious,
2: but that's just me. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. We'll see how long I can last. <laughs>
0: And of course, if anybody wants to find me, I do another show aside from 602 Club called Sabers and Spells. Now with my friend Amanda DeFonzo as a new co-host. And uh, we'll be releasing another episode soon this month. So I hope you'll go find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sabers and Spells. And then you can find me personally on both of those as well at Bespin Bell.
1: And uh, of course you could find me on... uh any of the social media platforms out there under Matt Rushing 2 at least any of the ones that are still allowed to exist. Um, and then you can also find <laughs> me uh, here on the network doing a couple of shows. Uh, aside from the 62 Club and Snyder Cuts coming up, uh, I've got L- Literary Trex and The Orb doing those with Chris Jones. Literary Treks is all about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then, of course, The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And then, aside from doing Aggressive Negotiations with John on the Nerd Party Network, I also do Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time, and legitimately, we're almost done, folks. We've got like nine or ten episodes left, so it's pretty crazy. But, um, well, that's all the announcements we have. That's all we have for you folks, but thank you so much for joining us this week. And y'all
0: come back now, you hear?